This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. I'm Dan the Fitness Man. Thank you for tuning in. You have lots of choices. This is the Public Land Do-It-Yourself Blue Collar Podcast dedicated to motivating, inspiring, educating folks on how to become the best possible versions of themselves through delayed gratification, discipline, and hard work. Our guests are top-notch, blue-collar, public land, ordinary folks with extraordinary passion for chasing elk in the mountains. Welcome to 2020. I'm so pumped that you guys are listening to Elk Shape Podcast. Now, today's show, we're talking to Bridger Miller out of Wyoming. This guy's super inspiring. We're going to go over a lot of stuff that he has done in his past, present, and future. Everything from crushing your goals to maximizing your time in the field. This guy coaches. He's an athlete himself. He's an educator and a diehard shed hunter and uh, quite the elk hunter. Quite honestly, this guy's very inspiring. And so we're going to really break it down and figure out, you know, unpack how is he so successful with such limited amount of time? What are his best practices? And really, how can you guys listening get a mental advantage? Get your physical preparation and your mental preparation dialed by listening to this episode. I can't thank Bridger enough. He's just a solid dude. Business-wise, we have elk-shaped camps to promote, so buckle up. And if you're tired of hearing about them, I'm sorry. Uh, things to cover at Elk Shape Camp. Well, everything from how to get started elk hunting, and that means getting the tags and the tag application and all that stuff planning your hunt, who to go with, and then how to scout for elk. This is also from like a digital perspective to boots on the ground to once you're in the field, how to read sign, how to interpret what the elk are doing, how they're traveling, where are they traveling. So that leads us into elk behavior, elk biology, and then figuring out the whole calling thing, like firsthand experience with one of the best elk callers. You're going to be with either Jason Phelps, Dirk Durham, 
or Joel Turner at any of our camps teaching you how to use a diaphragm read and then making all the essential sounds. And everybody calls sounds differently, but we're going to go through all the basic and advanced sounds you need to make and make sure that you're practicing in front of our subject matter experts. To me, that's priceless. Then we're going to get into just the whole archery side of things as well, from shooting under duress to making sure your bow's tuned, knowing what to look for, the setups for elk. It's when I'm not talking like calling setups, I'm talking your actual bow setup from broadheads, arrow selection, front of center, third axis adjustment, and then going through your shot execution, a controlled shot process, and doing all that with perfect practice, high heart rate, backpack on, vinyl harness, kneeling positions, seated positions, uneven terrain, undulation, shooting uphill, downhill, the list goes on. Then we talk about like inside elk information as far as like how to read the wind and thermals and locating elk and tactics for finding the elk and setting up and two-person calling, solo calling, sneaking in, and then all the other strategies that you can use in the elk mountains. And then obviously we go over the common challenges that are involved with elk hunting, especially public land pressured elk hunting when they're not vocal, when the weather, the moon phases, and then even some stuff about just like finding your elk once you take a shot, like where to shoot an elk when not to shoot if you hit here what does that mean and how to read sign and how to follow the blood trail and best practices of you know meat care in the field and processing and packing we can even cover your post rut late season and then get into all your guys's questions so elk shape camp i can't wait we only have six this year the locations and dates are as follows coming up we only have four spots left is january 24th through the 27th in spokane washington that is with joel Turner, Ryan Lampers, Jeff Bynum, Josh Jones, and myself. February 21st, 2020, Redmond, Oregon, Sisters, Oregon. We're bringing in Jason Phelps. Finally got him to come to camp. And then we have Bynum and myself. I'm going to butcher the name of the city, but Bourne, Texas, I believe. I don't think that's right, but Bourne, Texas. Uh, we got Dirk Durham, myself, Jeff Bynum. We're coming down for that. And then we have, right after that, the following weekend, March 6th through the 8th, is Roanoke, Texas. We're even doing a BHA pint night storytelling with Dirk and myself. That camp's going to be awesome. So that's going to be at Cinnamon Creek. I'm really excited about getting to that camp. And then uh, April 3rd through the 5th in La Crosse, Wisconsin, I'm bringing Ryan Lampers, Jason Phelps, Jeff Bynum, and myself. And that's going to be at a world-class archery location, lacrosse archery. Those guys do it right. Super excited about that Wisconsin. I've been trying to get back to Wisconsin, and finally we're going to do a camp there. Then we have April 24th through the 26th in Denver, Colorado. This is a special one. It's at No Limits Archery. Phil Mendoza is the owner, and he's going to be helping out. The guy is a technical wizard with archery. He can shoot lights out. Uh, the Aaron Snyder is coming to do a pack dump and go through that. And then we're bringing Dirk, the Durham, the Bugler. It's going to be lit. And then May 8th through the 10th is Vancouver, Washington. That's with Joel Turner and Ryan Lampers, Jeff Bynum, and myself. So those are your locations. If you want to find out more, go to ElkShape.com. If you are a firefighter, law enforcement, or active military, use a discount code, all one word, first responder. Save 150 bucks off that. And uh, if you know somebody who would really like to go to this camp and might need a little bit of a discount, I mean just a little bit, enough to get them by, reach out to me, elkshape at gmail.com. I don't want money to get in the way of you getting better at elk hunting and 
doing what we do at these camps, and that's leveraging elk hunting to create the best possible version of yourself. That's ultimately what will happen at these camps. And then for those that can't make it to any of these camps, we do have Elk Shape Camp online where we're continually adding video content there that's exclusive. That's a one-year membership, 99, and you get access to the vault as well as all the camps that we do. So far, we have 30 videos from the very first Elk Shape Camp another 17 videos from Elk Shape Camp 2.0, and then we have the bonus vault, which is really, really in-depth on everything elk hunting tactics, and there's more to come there. So, whew. lastly, we got uh, 90 Days to Freedom is finally live. That's going to be more of your program that you're going to want to do now, and then people were asking, well, when should I do 21 Days to Elk Shape? That program is perfect for August leading up to your hunt. So, that's what I got for you. Let's get it. Let's get after it with Bridger Miller. You're listening to the Elk Shape Podcast. Again, thank you for your time. You have lots of choices. Here we go. What's up? Hey, you got me? Yeah, I got you. Word. So your name is Bridger. Yes, sir. That is a cool name, man. Yeah, it's uh, kind of, my parents named me after the mountain man, Jim Bridger. So <laughs> comes with the territory, I guess. Definitely. Thank you for coming on today, man. Um, I'm really excited to get to know you. I've followed you on Instagram for for quite a while. And I actually yeah. kind of rely on listeners to point me on who to interview or have a conversation with. But this was this was all me, man. I wanted to, to interview you just because I like everything I see on the Instagram highlight reel. So uh, give us a little background, me specifically. Like, Tell me about yourself, brother. Awesome. Well, I'm honored to be on here too. I'm a big fan as well. So Excited to sit down and talk a little bit. Um, so I live in Casper, Wyoming. I'm a teacher and a swimming coach at the high school here, uh, Kelly Walsh High School. Um, I'm married and I have one daughter, Gracie. She's four years old. Gracie is four and I have, my daughter is my oldest, melts my heart. I talk about it all the time. I am so soft when it comes to her. Now I have <laughs> a son and he's actually going to invade this podcast at some point and I apologize to everybody in advance, but this was the time I had. So, uh, you guys done or are you going to have more you think? Um, we're not, we're not sure. We go back and forth quite a bit. We're, we're pretty dang happy with the one we have, but um, that seems to be the question that everybody asks us, but we're we're pretty settled on one at the moment. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to argue with that, man. It's pretty simple. Two is a game changer, and then there's these crazy people who have three, four, five, <laughs> and huge tribes, and uh, I got mad respect for those kind of people. So, Casper, Wyoming. Are you a Wyoming native? Is that where you grew up, or did you end up there? Yeah, I'm a I'm a Wyoming native. I actually grew up in Gillette, which is just north of here. Um, and I, I went to college for swimming out in South Dakota. And um, immediately, I love South Dakota, but I wanted to get back to Wyoming in the mountains. So kind of whatever it took. And I landed in Casper, and I love it. I uh, don't blame you. Why, I'm jealous of Wyoming. I think the winters are pretty rough, but if you <laughs> ski or snowboard or sled, you're, you're good to go. But, man, I think Wyoming – is the best state out west. And I hate saying that because people like get all excited and ruin the hunting there. But uh, for real, it is literally the best state out west, in my opinion. And I'm jealous that you live there. Tell me a little bit about your swimming background because uh, I have a little bit of swimming exposure. We were training for the CrossFit Games as a team yep. in 2012 and 13. And so we had to go, to, I had to get decent at swimming 
And I don't know if I've been in the pool very much since 2013. It's very humbling. Are you like six foot five, 120 pounds, and no body hair? Uh, I'm six two and about 185, so not quite. <laughs> but, but I have some buddies that are built that way. <laughs> what was your um, events? Um, I was a sprint freestyler and a breaststroker. Legitimate workouts, like probably, in my opinion, the most daunting workouts are in the water. They're they're pretty brutal, man. Swimming's kind of its own niche. I mean, you stare at the bottom of a pool for hours on hours. That's for sure. So I just finished 90 Days to Freedom, this this program that I created. And I created it with the mind of uh, people don't have a lot of equipment. So I had to get really creative with dumbbells and a sandbag and a pull-up bar. Um, yep. But in there, I try to write up a little something every day on active rest day. And one of the very first active rest days, I talk about how swimming, in my opinion, is the arguably the best active rest because you get a good workout, you're not super sore, and your muscles really get that blood flow and it's so low impact. It could also double as a little like an actual workout day, but what other benefits am I missing when it comes to swimming? Uh, absolutely, man. I mean, it's it's definitely low impact and easy on your body. And I think it's one of the better ways to still get cardiovascular work um, when you're trying to recover. Um, I know with lung capacity and, and if you breathe with proper technique, your, your face is going to be in the water every couple seconds. So um, building those lungs for the high country, I mean, it's a, it, it makes a big difference. It, it literally feels like it does when you're climbing a hill at 10,000 feet uh, when you're swimming hard and breathing. Well, I want to circle back to your coaching side of things in a, in a minute, yep. but yep. before coaching, you're an educator. What, yes. do you, what do you teach and uh, what grade level, things like that? I teach 9 through 12, um, and I get to teach uh, PE classes, and those, those PE classes are aquatics. I actually teach classes in the pool, and then I also get to teach a fitness and conditioning course that's down in the weight room at our school. That's a dream job, but Dude. The, the, <laughs> the, dates, the dates from a hunting standpoint are rough, right? Like when do you when do you start school and when does school get out so school starts uh in august or beginning of september depending on the year um and then it gets out uh beginning of june or end of may uh and we get one personal day a year in the district i work at so time is time is a crunch when it comes to hunting season i'm definitely a a weekend warrior i will say this though one advantage i do have is with the summers off I get to do a ton of scouting and prep and shooting my bow and shooting my gun. And uh, so I, I guess I cash in on all my time there. And so when hunting season comes up, it's, it's hard on weekends. It's Saturday, Sunday, rocking and rolling. We got to go over your prep. So you're yep. a really fit guy. I get that vibe. Like your fitness is a big deal. You have a yeah. collegiate swimming background. So your lungs and heart are strong. I yep. see some endurance training in there as well. I know you're a diehard shed hunter and then you're scouting. And I want to leave listeners with takeaways. So let's get into your scouting first and foremost. Like where do you begin scouting? Are you the kind of guy that's looking for a specific animal? Or are you just trying to figure out several areas to get into once season opens up? I mean, how does it work? Yeah, so I mean, I'm, I'm starting right now. I'm already um, looking at maps and, you know, making plans for next season uh, as far as states, um, tags, if I draw or if I don't draw, Wyoming's inconvenient in a sense that we don't find out draw results until June as residents. And it's almost the end of June. 
Um, so, so as far as right now goes, I'm just looking at areas, trying to anticipate if, if I do draw the tag or if I don't. Um, I obviously have some general areas that I already know of, but I'm always constantly trying to find new spots. And, and one way I'm really prepping to do that is looking forward to shed season this spring. Um, through shed hunting, I find a lot of new areas and access points um, and really get to know some drainages and mountains that, that I wouldn't if I didn't shed hunt. Um, and then when summers, obviously when I find out uh, what tags I pulled or what I'll have in my pocket for the fall. Uh, that's really how I attack my summer and where I'll be spending most of my time. Um, Casper doesn't have a lot of general elk areas around it, so I, I'll either be heading south or north um, or to different parts of the state um, for those for those elk hunts on a general tag. Yeah, so when you are shed hunting and you said you go and you learn these areas and then even specific drainages, Bro, you're learning like the road systems, yes. the most popular trailheads, the trailheads that are overlooked, and then how to navigate around those. Because you're a weekend warrior, you can't hang out where other people do with the finite number of hours you have in a weekend. What's more your cup of tea, like mule deer or elk? I'm, I'm all about elk, man. <laughs> uh, don't get me wrong. I, I get after them all. I, I like hunting just about anything, but... Uh, elk are my favorite and you know one thing I didn't mention with the shed hunting too uh, hunting public land when you're shed hunting you get to learn exactly where those boundaries are too you know when you're when you're out searching for sheds you can walk those lines and those boundaries so say you're in the middle of a hunt and it's it's early morning and you see a herd elk or a bull pushing cows you know if you can go or you can't depending on the boundary you, you kind of know the lay of the land and where that that border is as far as um if they're on it or not so for wyoming elk like i know like the like the bighorn elk i think they kind of winter they either head east or west they don't go north south yeah yeah um, is every area just kind of learning where the elk move is that how you kind of pick you know pick out the the shed areas to look for yeah um and the the central part of wyoming where i live it's kind of interesting that i wouldn't say there's necessarily wintering grounds i mean there's there's parts of the of the mountain and the units that the elk like to be in, but but I've found sheds in the exact same places I've shot elk with my bow, with my gun, late season, early season. It just kind of depends on the snowpack and and how the year looks. So that's that's one advantage of central Wyoming is is where I'm shed hunting. Typically, if I draw a tag, that's that's where I'll be in the fall chasing chasing bugling bulls. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, there's a lot of places where, man, out west, these elk migrate, you know, upwards of 50 plus miles to their wintering areas. In North Idaho here, you you can find sheds right where they're rutting. You know, it's almost like right. some bulls don't even leave these holes. But uh, And so that's super advantageous for kind of picking up bone and scouting and, and finding the old rubs and where they were rutting and all that kind of stuff. So that's huge. Do you run trail cameras for some of your scouting? You know, I don't. And um, I, that's one thing I want to start implementing into my scouting uh, from here on out. I, I've never really ran trail cameras. I did a little bit of whitetail hunting in college out in South Dakota, and I had a couple cameras there when I was hunting tree stands. But as far as uh, Western hunting and elk, I've, I've never really dabbled into it yet. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I would say I'm 
I couldn't tell you one way or the other. I don't know if they've actually really helped besides maybe inventory. I've actually had, at some point, I've had a close to 40 cameras. So obviously, I'm kind of addicted, but I bet I've had <laughs> half those stolen, including lockbox and stuff. So I've kind of gotten away from buying expensive trail cameras. And right. when you do that, they kind of sometimes work and you hope that they do and they kind of sometimes don't. And so, yeah, I mean, I like it. It's fun, but uh, it's not necessary. I definitely agree with you on that. Um, your tactics for hunting elk, specifically, I guess we'll talk Wyoming, your home state. Are you more of a, I want to get into them, call them in, pick apart their desire to breed or fight? Or are you more like, I want to slow play and uh, spot and stock, intercept? What's your style? I, I guess I've I've kind of adapted that over the years, and I've gotten a lot better at, at reading elk behavior. Um, you know, and something I've really um, come to learn is there's definitely times to be aggressive and times to sit back. When I, you know, a couple years ago, I was go, 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 super aggressive, trying, you know, shadow the herd, make a move. Um, and it also depends on the area, too, um, where I'm at, the if I draw a tag around where I live, it's a lot of open country and high plains. So spot and stock is huge. Um, cutting those herds off, sneaking in, um, getting a shot. Um, and then more, if I'm hunting thicker timber, I'll just listen to what the elk are doing. If they're bugling, if they're going crazy, I know that I can be a little more aggressive that day. Um, I know that's that doesn't make exact sense, but um, I've gotten a lot better at just reading what the elk want to do and are doing. Um, and I'll just try and respond accordingly, I guess. Yeah, I would say the more seasoned elk hunters I just talk to, the more I realize they have a versatile approach. You know, it, it really hinges upon what are the elk doing and going from there. Do you hunt with a partner or do you hunt solo for elk? Um, I do a little bit of both. Uh, my my favorite people to, to hunt with, I'm fortunate enough, are my dad and my brother. They're go-getters and they get after it. I have a couple close friends that that I like to go with too. But the last couple of years recently, I've been hunting a lot, um, on my own, which I, I, I don't mind it. I, I've, I've learned a lot that way about myself. Um, and you kind of, you kind of make your own decisions and dig your own grave in a sense. If you make a mistake, it's, it's kind of on no one else, but you, um, and it's made me a better hunter, the solo hunting I've done. Yeah. Y'all listen to that. That's the truth. So when you do hunt with a partner, say your brother and you guys have vocal elk, uh, give us an idea of some best practices and some stuff to avoid when working as a team. Yeah, so you want to you want to kind of know each other's style and approach. And we, like I said, we're lucky enough we've been hunting together for a long time, so we can we kind of have a sense on uh, how each other how we like to approach it. And you know, if a bull's bugling, how we want to go in. And one thing my brother and I have always said and do a lot of is we don't want to overcall. Um, if we know that the the elk are coming in, we'll we'll obviously put one person further behind, cow calling or bugling. Um, but we like to move in on those elk. If we have a bull that's responsive, we like to go straight at them. Um, and I think a big mistake a lot of people make, and I've made it myself, is is calling too much uh, when they're in close. And those elk, I mean, those bulls are super good at at knowing exactly where that sound's coming. So if we can throw them off a little bit, cut it, cut a different angle, um, and cover that last hundred yards as fast as we can and kind of get right up on them. We've had a lot of success that way. It is mind blowing how the elk can literally pick off your exact location from the sound, especially if you don't 
shoot that sound or muffle it or throw it behind you. It's almost like they have radar and they, they literally know where you're standing and then they can decide. The elk want a visual almost, that's usually what they want. They want to see what's up and they almost know where to go to see where you were standing. I learned that a long time ago, solo elk hunting, and I learned the valuable lesson of make that last sound and move because they, no matter what, they'll figure out where you're standing. That's that's kind of an art, so to speak. And it, it takes a, it takes screwing it up several times. And even nowadays, I still make the mistakes, you know, and I'm like, oh, I can't believe I made that mistake again. But what do you think some of your guys' mistakes were early on that you, you try not to do now? Uh, definitely calling too much. Um, and, a, and another mistake I made in the past was I, I was afraid to bugle. Um, I, I bugle a lot more now, I guess. I guess I never wanted to run a bull off by bugling. I'd had that experience early, early on in my bow hunting career and, and just elk hunting in general. And so I bugle a lot more. Uh, I like to rake a lot more too. Mm, um, yeah. I, I, I would say before I was a little too timid. I, did, I thought I'd always be caught moving. Um, I, I moved a little slow and the timber didn't want to make a lot of noise. And the more I've done this, the more I realize you can get away with a lot sneaking up on elk. <laughs> I mean, they're they're loud in the trees. So if you're if you're truly mimicking what an elk is, you got to be loud too, and um, you can get away with a lot more. Um, another thing too is to be more mobile. We used to sit down a lot and call, and we rarely do that now. I mean, we still do every now and again, but but we're on our feet, we're calling, we're moving with the elk. Um, especially the person that's behind the the caller and not the shooter, you can move angles, rub this tree, drop back behind, get behind a log and call. Just throwing off and being deceptive has has made a big difference. Besides just sitting and waiting, being deceptive, I dig it. So, man, you coach. You were a collegiate swimmer. Let's talk about mindset. The things that we talk about here, like creating more discipline and the mindset that it will take to reach your peak performance and do the hard thing every day. So kind of break that down for us and give us some good takeaways. Yeah. So the, when I, when I approach my athletes or, or even myself, when it comes to mental toughness, um, I talk a lot about consistency and focusing on the process. Um, I think it's very easy for kids nowadays and society um, especially, you know, you scroll through Instagram as a hunter, you're like, wow, there's a 360 bull, there's a 200 inch muley, there's this, that. And a lot of the time you miss out on all the, the suffering, the prep and the training that went into that, that successful hunt. And so, um, with kids and sports, it's the same way when kids want to be successful right away, they want, they want to win, they want to be a champion. And, and a lot of the time they, they miss the part that it, sometimes it takes years and with the with the sport of swimming, you're you're training months and years and hours and thousands of yards for for sometimes less than a second of a time drop off your best time. Um, and so I guess the the work and the payoff, the the balance and the ratio there isn't quite what's normal, I guess you could say. And and to me, bow hunting is is very similar. It's very easy to get caught up and wrapped up in it's all about the kill and and posting that trophy picture on Instagram, but very rarely do you hear about the failures or man, that guy shoots his bow every day, or he knows exactly how his equipment works. So I think focusing on that process and being consistent 
and trying to get better is is really important when it comes to mental toughness. Yeah, it's almost counterculture nowadays, especially with the younger generation. Everything is the antithesis of delayed gratification. Nobody nobody even knows what that means. They want it now, instant gratification. And to me, I've always kind of stumbled with instant gratification. I, I that's what attracted me to elk hunting with a bow was just like it was so damn hard and it required right. so much work. I couldn't half ass it. And there's guys that can and good for them, but I'm not one of them. And right. I just know the harder I work, the more confident and the better chances I have in the field, which can come down to anything in life. So I dig what you're talking about. But when you co- talk about yourself, just being a dad, a husband, an educator, and a coach, and a diehard shed hunter, diehard bow hunter, how in the hell do you have find t- like find time to work out with such a busy schedule? Well, and it's it's all about sacrifice, right? And so when I when I look at my goals and how I want to be successful, whether it's uh, my with my fitness, my family, as a teacher, a coach, um, you know, or a hunter, I you got to find things to sacrifice, and and that's the bottom line to make time. And if it's important to you, you will find a way to make it happen. And you know, when I look at everything going on in my life and my busy schedule, I, the one thing I sacrificed is sleep. <laughs> I mean, that was the, the give and takes. I, you know, I looked at, at what I could give up and, you know, sleep right now was, was on the, on the docket. So I, I get up super early every day. I, I work out before we have morning practice in the pool. So I'm up before my athletes. And then I also work out over my lunch breaks too. I'm just trying to fit it in wherever I can. Yeah. So there's a lot of challenge with that. I mean, you have to discipline yourself to go to bed early or everybody will feel your grumpiness, irritability, your mood, your fatigue, your soreness. You'll take it out on everybody else and usually right. the ones you love the most. So what time do you go to bed? Uh, I I try to be to bed eight thirty or nine. Um, and that's we, we try and have a routine with our daughter to kind of get her ready to go and you know, my wife and I got to spend time with her, you know, and, um, but eight thirty or nine is usually the time we, we sack out. That's, that's everybody in my house. So it's nice. <laughs> what time does that alarm go off for you? Uh, anywhere from three to three thirty, man. Legit brother. You got me beat by an hour and a half. I, uh, I'm a 5am guy and I don't train till six thirty in the morning, but I need that hour and a half to get work done without distraction Yes. So, and it's crazy how much I get done in that hour and a half. And then the rest of my day is like, I know what I need to work on. And then the training bout is over. Breakfast is down the hatch. Kids are off to school. It's nine o'clock and I'm already winning. Um, Absolutely. So three, three thirty, even better. Like a lot of discipline, mad respect to that. And uh, when you do workouts, do you kind of break it up into more endurance pieces in the AM and then strength at lunch or how does that work? Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've been very lucky to, I've, I've done CrossFit, I've swam. Um, my dad was a strength and conditioning coach, so I have a great background in just about everything. Um, so more recently, I'm, I'm training for a big trail run in June. I've been doing a lot more endurance workouts, but I, but I still lift four times a week, um, heavy front squats, things like that. What I have found is it's, it's a lot easier for me to get all my strength work in and weight room stuff in the morning. And then over my lunch break, I'll just crush a run on a treadmill real quick or, you know, it doesn't take quite as long to get ready for that or warmed up, I guess you could say. Um, so I do a lot of my strength and conditioning in the morning and then um, 
cardio and running over lunch. Love it. I think uh, I think we would be really good friends if we lived closer. That's my first instinct was like, man, I like this guy. Uh, tell me about your endurance running. So what race did you sign up for and what's your background in endurance running? Um, so I signed up for a hundred mile trail run in June in the Bighorns up by Dayton and Sheridan, Wyoming. The Bighorn, <laughs> Bighorn 100? Or- the, Bi- the Bighorn 100 is Damn. what I signed up for. Um, and last year I did the 52 mile. Um, and the, the competitor in me and... I don't know. I, I, I got done with that race and it felt unbelievable. I felt accomplished. I had worked hard for it. Um, but everybody finishes at the same time. So I kind of crossed the line and, you know, high five my family. Well, as I finished all the hundred mile guys were coming across and I went, man, there's, there's just a lot more that I think I could do. I want to, I want to try that. I think, you know, that'd be a good goal. And, and to tell you the truth, honestly, I mean, I'm, I've been a swimmer, so I have somewhat of an endurance uh, background, but I started actually running about last year, December. So I've been about 12 months of of running consistently, I guess you could say. I've always hiked a bunch and stuff like that. But um, as far as training and running in my fitness programming, I started about a year ago. I got mad respect. I, I think I'd be lying if I said that's not a little bit on my radar. I've said it before on here. I feel like I was kind of built to run. And I don't go down that road because I feel like I got to spend more time on my weaknesses. But I would love to figure out that balance of, you know, maybe doing a 32 or something, training for that, but not losing my CrossFit-ish strength, power output, and well-roundedness. But there's going to be a sacrifice, obviously. Like you're going to sacrifice something to get that specialty. Um, I just love running in the mountains. You know, it's not – to get me to run on the road and just even do a 5k man it's like i'd rather <laughs> i'd rather ruck i'd rather do crossfit yeah but you talk about trail running in the mountains and man it's it's another level but how did you how did you feel that your body did on the 52 and then what was the recovery time until you kind of felt human again yeah so uh i felt really really good during that race um a lot of people asked me you know man that must have sucked and i was like not really. I mean, I'm in the mountains the whole time. I grew up running around the Bighorns, so you know it was it was nostalgic in a sense too to to enjoy that race, be competitive, and do it. Um, physically, I felt great. Uh, the only thing that happened to me is about 32 miles in my my digestive tract and my stomach, I started to get sick. I couldn't couldn't hold calories down, no matter what I tried. And I don't know if that was just pre-race jitters. I didn't you know, eat the right stuff before the race or what it was. But in the middle there, I, I had some issues and, um, couldn't keep any calories in. So I, I guess I bonked a little bit, you could say. Uh, but, but at one of the aid stations, I was able to regroup. And then the last eight miles, I finished pretty strong. Um, as far as, as far as recovery time, I would say within a week I was, I was feeling pretty good. Um, I got really lucky and and spent money on shoes and tra- changed them out a couple times during the race. So as far as blisters, when I was okay there and I didn't lose any toenails, so um, I guess it went about as good as it could have. <laughs> Definitely. Well, while we're on this topic, what do you need to do differently and or in addition to, if anything, to prepare yourself for triple digits? 
Yeah, I think I, I really, really need to work on my nutrition while I train. So um, those, those longer runs in my training that will come up here this spring, um, really focusing on what, what sits well in my stomach and what doesn't. Um, obviously I need to increase the amount of, of miles that I'm running compared to the 52, but, you know, I do a lot of reading and studying and research and I, I talk to a lot of people too. I, I love learning from just about anybody. And, um, a lot of people have said your the fitness level required to finish a 50 is about the same as the hundred. It's just the, the nutrition and the mental side. They say you, you run the first half with your body and the second half with your mind. So um, just anything I can do to, to mentally prepare for that. Um, I got some great guys that are going to help me as pacers. So we're already making plans for that. And I'm, I'm excited, man. Will you run with trekking poles? I, yes. Um, that was one thing I did last year. I ran that whole race with trekking poles. Makes sense to me. Honestly, I, the furthest I've ran. So to date was I've done just two halves and, mm-hmm. uh, these are half marathons folks, not half 100s. And, uh, both one was in a duathlon so I had to go do a mountain bike race after that and then the other I guess the other two were both Spartan races and they're 13 in Montana and and all those I've always felt pretty good afterwards but it was the nutrition part was kind of trial and error so like the very first time I did a duathlon I felt a little bonky after the 13 miles didn't have gels or blocks and just kind of struggled, man. Just struggled. Had to do, dig deep. But uh, when I kind of got into the 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 first Spartan half, uh, thirteen miler one, man, like that went a little bit better. I packed a, like the shot blocks and the stuff. And then on the last time I've done one, I went through so many shot blocks. I that can't be good. So <laughs> what <laughs> what does that look like, man? As far as what do you pack with you when you're running, and you have aid stations spread out so far? And a lot of your running is going to be at night on this hundred. Yep. What have you? What do you know that you're going to do, and what is unknown so far? Well, so so what I know is that the gels and the blocks do not work for me. Um, I think that's what really kind of sent me over the edge last year, and it just ran right through me to tell you the truth. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to stick more of the real food approach, um, and then drinking my calories. Uh, I. I was drinking this stuff called Tailwind. I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh-uh. Um, it's a it's an electrolyte drink. Um, it's I mean high glycogen, high carbs. Mm-hmm. It's it's legit stuff, man. But it settled really well in my stomach. So um, drinking calories is really important, and then eating real foods. And it's dude, those aid stations at those uh, trail runs are unbelievable. There's just about anything you can imagine, and those volunteers are incredible. They pack it all in on their back or by horse um, if they can't drive to it. Um, And they got all sorts of stuff. And that was probably another problem I had is you get to there and it's like a buffet. You're just grabbing whatever looks good, (laughs) candy and pretzels and whatever. And I'm like, dude, I never ate this when I was training. No wonder I got got sick. So um, my plan is to carry a lot more of my nutrition this year. And then um, in my drop bags, having that stuff ready as well. And you know, it's funny because what I've learned through trail running and, and what I can eat uh, during the run or when I'm training, I've, I've applied to when I'm doing like packing out elk or, or intense hikes when I'm hunting um, or shed hunting. And it's, it's made a huge difference. And, you know, when I used to hunt, I'd just go, man. I didn't have time to eat or, 
or drink. And I've, I've paid attention to that a lot more and it's paid off big time for me. Yeah, we should touch on that. So I'm definitely in your boat. Like I think guys should have several little snacks in pockets, not in your pack. Because let's be honest, man. If it's in your pack, are you going to stop and get your pack out? Exactly. <laughs> I'm not. And so nope. like those stinger bars and stuff like that, like those, I like, I'm not a really a keto hunting kind of guy. I need carbs. And so right. I like like those stinger bars, one in every pocket. And I like to just kind of keep eating as I'm hunting throughout the day. It's made a huge difference. I think that's great. I'm curious to know going forward is your, maybe give us percentages a week of training, what percent will be long, slow distance endurance training? What percentage will be endurance training, but more interval pieces like work to rest ratio? And then how much time are you going to spend making sure your joints, your ligaments, your tendons, your muscles are being trained through strength training? Right. So um, right now I'm kind of in a base building phase for this race in June. So I'm not officially on a program or, or really keeping track of my miles, but I'm I'm trying to hit about 40 miles a week right now as far as running goes. And um, I try to run every day except for Sunday. Um, some days are longer than others. And I do speed work twice a week. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, one of my favorite workouts that I like to do right now is I do a lot of farmer carries and sandbag carries and sled pushes along with running. So I'll, I'll run a mile at an interval and then I'll pick up a sandbag or some kettlebells and just carry something heavy um, back and forth. We have an indoor track that surrounds our weight room here oh, at, our yeah. high, at our high school. Dude, it's, it's perfect. Jealous. Um, so then I'll, I'll do that and then I'll, I'll ride a stationary bike. I'll swim once a week and then I lift four times a week. And with those lifting, um, sessions, I do a lot of, of stretching prehab, um, just trying to kind of keep my body going and, and keeping it rolling. It sounds like you're not only a hard worker, but you're approaching it as intelligently as possible. It doesn't hurt to have a strength and conditioning coach. I imagine your dad is retired, but yep. uh, give us uh, – is he old school strength and conditioning coach like the kind I had to intern for in college? You know, it's it's funny because he did it forever and he could have been old school, but he was about as new approach as you could get. Um, it was all about functional strength and functional fitness. Uh, he did train athletes. So, you know, Olympic lifts were huge front squats. I mean, when I was 12 years old, I started, I started those movements, man. He had me in the weight room, just, just learning the basics of squats and, and things like that. Obviously not throwing around crazy weight, but, but those movement patterns have, have helped me out a ton, um, to set me up for where I'm at today, as far as when I approach my personal fitness and coaching. Yeah, man. Hunting basically screwed me from being a strength and conditioning coach. Like uh, when I got into hunting with a bow, I was 20 and a parallel in that was finishing up my undergrad interning as a strength coach. Then I did my grad work, did some more internships with some really top-notch training centers. And, and I was like, dude, I don't want to be a strength and conditioning coach. You, your busiest season is yes. when football starts in right. August and September. And I was really getting into hunting. So um, I'm kind of thankful now that I'm not a strength coach per se for like, you know, collegiate setting is kind of where most guys would head up and then work their way up into pros, man. So for me, I like that, but I got mad respect for your dad and what he does because those strength coaches work so many unbelievable hours and they're not easy hours and the salaries aren't that great. 
Right. And it's, it's, they're the first people that get the, the finger pointed at them. Um, if success isn't having happening on the field. Yeah. They're on the know, chopping block. Easy targets. <laughs> mm, yeah. Low hanging fruit for, for sure. So will you be a teacher educator through the rest of your good years? Do you have any ambition for other things? You know, right now I'm, I'm, I'm really happy where I'm at. I'm, I'm all about opportunities though. And I, I like to keep an open mind. I don't, I don't necessarily feel like I'm stuck with what I'm doing or that I have to. I, I do enjoy it a lot, um, especially the location that I live in. <laughs> I mean, I'm surrounded by, by some pretty incredible opportunities if you're an outdoorsman. Um, being smack dab in the middle of the state, I'm about two or three hours from just about everything. Yeah, you suck, dude. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, well, we're going to get into a little bit of equipment and gear and kind of wrap it up, but I want to go yeah. over where have you have you hunted other places besides Wyoming for elk? I'm assuming uh, Montana. Well, I'm I'm actually I have a couple points for Montana and my brother and I are planning an archery hunt up there this next fall if we draw. Right. Um the odds say we should, so I'm really looking forward to that and um, kind of branching out of just Wyoming for elk. Um, I've hunted deer up there the last couple of years. Um, so looking forward to it. Yeah. I think Montana's probably my favorite place when it comes to generosity of an archery season. That's six weeks. Yes. I have hunted Montana a few times. I think I'm batting a thousand there as far as actual success, but man, I've had some frustrating hunts in Montana where I roll in there October early and all the elk have been pressured and they're all like doing their thing on private land and you're just watching Yellowstone type activity <laughs> and there's no, you can't do nothing about it, but it all depends on where you go. And Montana's got a lot of options and variety. Yep. Is there a particular part of the state that kind of excites you more than others? Uh, uh, yeah, we're looking at the Southeastern side of the state. Um, my brother still lives in Gillette, so that's kind of within striking distance of where we can get to and, and have enough time. Um, I'm going to cash in on him cause his schedule allows him to hunt a lot more than me. So he'll, he'll know where the elk are at by the time I get there on the weekend and <laughs> put me on him, I guess. No doubt, man. Well, so. when it comes to your elk hunting style, you don't have time to waste like hiking back to the truck and hiking back out. So I imagine you do some backpack style. Like let's go through some of your favorite pieces of gear that came in handy in 2019. Yeah. So, um, Recently, I picked up a, a quilt style um, sleeping bag, mm -hmm. um, ultra light and compressible and doesn't have the zippers and anything like that. Um, it's from Nemo Equipment. Um, that's been a that's been really nice. Uh, it's small in the pack. It, it holds up pretty dang good. Um, and on the cold nights, I mean, sometimes I'll have to layer up on top of on top of just that quilt. Um, but that's been a game changer. Uh, my brother bought, um, one of the seek outside tents with the stove. Yes. I don't, dude, those are, those are crazy in the late season. So, um, really enjoyed using those. Um, but yeah, the, the backcountry style hunting is, is definitely a go-to. Uh, I, I really like that Nemo equipment. I have their Hornet elite tent as well. It's a two man. Um, it, it works perfect just for me. Um, it just seems to be that that right amount of uh, space and packability. Yeah, Nemo is legit. I think they're owned by First Light now. Yeah. Okay. I heard I heard that anyways. I'm not sure either. I guess, but yeah, one of my buddies here in Spokane actually, he's uh, 
he's a photographer and he does a lot of the shoots for First Light and Nemo and uh, has great things to say about it. Jed, he's been on the podcast. He's a stud. But uh, what gear upgrades are you looking into for 2020? Um, I'm actually considering uh, making a change with my optics. Um, right now, I, I run a pair of 10 by 42s. And then sometimes I'll even pack a pair of 15 by 56s. And then I have a spotter that's probably a little too big to, to go in a pack. So I've I find myself carrying two sets of binoculars around, which I don't think is is necessary. And so what I'm actually looking at at doing is some 12 by 50s uh, with a tripod attachment. Um, one thing I started doing while shed hunting is is attaching my binoculars to a tripod, and it's incredible how much more you can see um, and pick up when they're when they're stationary and still as you're glassing through them. Do you have a specific brand or manufacturer you're looking into work with? Um, yeah, so right now I'm I'm running Swarovskis for my 10 by 42s, and then I have uh, Mavens for my 15 by 56s, and I I really enjoy both those companies and both those binoculars. Um, as far as the 12 by 50s, I'm just doing a lot of research right now and and talking to guys and seeing what they think. Yeah, I got the Kaibabs from Vortex uh-huh. for that. Uh, I don't get to use those very often up here in the Northwest obviously timber, but I've used the crap out of those in uh, New Mexico, Arizona. I've liked those. Obviously, you have to have a tripod for those to be worth anything. The problem that I've ran into is I always come across like, what size of spotter should I bring? Because I have three spotters and they're all from Vortex. They got the little guy, the mid-range, and like my giant one. And honestly, (laughs) the little guy is cool, but it's not really that much better than my binos at the end of the day. Yep. And the big guy is just ridiculous. And it's, it's so I end up using like a 65 millimeter spotter most of the times. So and that's worked well for me, but I, I'm with you, man. Like I always seem to have too much glass packed and um, my pack's always heavy as it is anyways. So I'm always looking to kind of figure out what system's going to work best for me and have options for that. But we can both agree getting binos on a tripod is a game changer, especially for shed hunting where you're at. Um, I, I, I want to talk a little bit about 2020 goals, and then I'll get you uh, back to school. Here's your showcase. Advertise them right here, right now, if, if you would, and kind of give us like what's, you know, prioritize basically Bridger's program for 2020 when it comes to being the best husband, first and foremost, being the best father, being a provider, creating more discipline, and leading a life that you've always wanted to live. What, what does that look like for 2020, and how do you prove upon those components? And then obviously hunting. Yeah, absolutely. So um, forming good habits, I guess, is what, what I would start with, kind of looking at ways to maximize my time. And, and a big lesson I've learned, especially in this last um, hunting season and, and my approach to life has been when, when you're there, be a hundred percent present. So if it's, if it's family time, I need to be a hundred percent there, not on my phone, not, you know, I need to be dedicated and, and putting everything I have into that time in that present moment. And, um, when it comes to training, uh, dedicating that time to a hundred percent, I'm, I'm, focused and working in the gym or, or on that treadmill or, or running up that mountain. One thing, one way I have, I've learned that is, is through my hunting and I have, I guess you could say I have ADD, (laughs) Uh, Um, but, but I'll be, I'll be hunting, hunting elk and go, man, elk hunting slow. Maybe I should change areas and go chase deer or, 
or, or try another spot. And I, I have to tell myself, I go, dude, this is your best chance to kill an elk. You need to dedicate 100% right now to this moment um, for, for it to happen. And so I think a, a big goal of mine is to be, to be present, um, make sure that I'm, that I'm balancing my time between family, work, and play. And when I'm, when I'm doing each one of those, be a hundred percent at it and giving it my all. Um, as far as goals for the 2020 season, I want to, want to become a better archer. Um, I, I feel like I'm a pretty good shot, but I want to know more about bows. I want to, I want to get in more competitions. I want to, um, know more about tuning and those, those little things that I, I haven't necessarily overlooked, but I think there's a lot to the archery game that I can I can still learn and really broaden my knowledge on. That's a pretty well-rounded approach, man. And being present in everything you do is not easy. No. I'm with you, and I have very similar goals. I want to be even more transparent in 2020 on everything that I do. I want to be a breath of fresh air for anyone that follows Elk Shape, like just to know like that he's a real dude. He like every day is not easy. You know, I think a lot of people have a misconception. What they see out there is everything's, you know, roses and it's right. not. And I know that getting up at 3 a.m. ain't easy every day, man. And going to bed at 8.30, like <laughs> every day, like really? But yeah, like your goals are bigger than you than you, and yep. they keep you driven. So do you have a goal like process that you'll actually kind of reflect first and then kind of get the big picture and then start creating the small goals. Like let's end on that process. Cause I think this is really valuable. This podcast is dropping right at the beginning of 2020. Yeah. So, um, I guess with being a hundred percent, uh, present and in the moment is, is the big goal. And I guess one thing that I really believe in is habits. Um, and so what, what I'll do is I have a little checklist in the morning that I'll, that I'll pull up on the notes section in my phone and it says, how can you be a better dad today? And that's the first question, and I'll answer that to myself. Okay, what can I do today with my kid that I didn't do yesterday or, or kind of just set that up? And then it'll have, how can you be a better teacher today? How can you be a better coach? How can you be a better bow hunter? How can you be a better husband? And I'll just, I'm all about lists. It's, it's kind of psychotic in a way, and my wife laughs at me. But, dude, I write it all down. I type it in there, and it, it just kind of keeps me in check, too. It's how I wake up, drinking my coffee, eating my breakfast, getting ready to go work out. I ask myself those questions. All right, what are you going to do today to be better than you were yesterday? And that just snowballs and and builds on itself. And it's it's been very proven, especially when it's when you're struggling to find motivation. Those are those are the things, and those are the ways to push push through because it'll show you what matters um, and kind of give you that reframe and perspective. Pure gold, right there, man, Bridger. Got to hang out with you at some point. So, absolutely. Are you going to um, you going to Salt Lake City for the the expo? I'm I'm planning on it this year, so we'll uh, we'll have to meet up. Yeah. So let's plan on grabbing a workout somewhere down there and awesome. uh, just connecting. And I want to help promote whatever it is you're doing. I know you're you're not worried about being in the hunting industry, but probably might be dabbling a little bit. And I want people to follow you because you're just a positive influence. So. Where, what's your Instagram handle? Uh, it's Bridger.Miller. Guys, follow him. He's got a really cool, upbeat, down-to-earth uh, posting. And just follow along his journey. Do you have any YouTube content? Uh, no, I don't. Okay. I enjoy talking to you, man. I got your number now. And don't be surprised if I draw 
any Wyoming general, they'll be hitting you up for all your hot spots. Just joking. But, uh, <laughs> I'm in, man. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'd love to share a camp with you. Keep doing what you're doing. Good luck on your goal. And um, I can't wait to see you crush it in June on your Bighorn 100, man. Mad props for advertising your goals. Yeah, thanks, man. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Let's do it again. Yep, sounds good. Okay, man. We'll, we'll talk soon. See ya. Okay, guys. You just heard a badass podcast with Bridger. So now what? Simple. What the heck do you want to get done in 2020? What's the big picture? Write that stuff down. Now, now that you know what it is you want to set out to do, work your way backwards. Let's figure out the small steps that lead to the big goal. So that could be just a monthly tracking list of things you got to get done. Make that to a weekly list of things you got to get done. Make that to a daily thing that you got to get done. Don't get overwhelmed. Start with the small stuff. Now, I want to end with a couple of tips on how to basically create more self-discipline because that's what I'm all about. Number one, stop hitting the snooze button. Number two, challenge yourself with these goals and follow through. Write them down, put them next to the mirror. Take time and space. What I mean by that is get yourself in a place where you can get your headspace figured out and you know exactly what it is you want, what really matters. That's kind of where I figure that stuff out when I'm hunting. Everybody's a little bit different, but find clarity. Put yourself in some new environments. Shake it up a little bit. Don't do the same stuff.com. Figure out some new environments to put yourself in that challenge you. Clean out your kitchen and get rid of the bullshit foods. Make your bed. As funny as it sounds, it's just going to be one little routine thing you do in the morning that's going to get the snowball effect for the rest of the day. Train in the morning. Simply put, there's nothing else going on in the mornings. Get your workout done. That way you don't have the anxiety all day of, I got to get my workout in. When am I going to get it in? And your boss, your wife, your spouse, your friend, your father are not going to call you at 5 a.m. and ask you to do any favors or pick kids up from soccer practice, get your workout done in your garage gym, and follow 90 days to freedom. Stop consuming mindless content on social media. Choose to be proactive. Choose to find a small, quiet time in the morning to get yourself to meditate if you're into that. I say meditate on the word. Create structured routine. You do that for your kids. Why don't you do that for yourself? Stop associating with negative people. Have a smaller circle. People that inspire you. People that push you. People that are honest with you. Have some secure accountability with trustworthy peers. Read books on personal development. And you are not a victim. That's all I got for you guys. I hope this inspired you for 2020. I'm excited for this year. We have some really big news and exciting things coming down the pipe that I can't talk about yet, but I can't wait to share those with you. Take care. Have the great week. Make it the best day ever. Let's go.